Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Hello, business leaders. Hello, marketers. We've got a great one for you today. I've got Stephen Shapiro who's going to join me. Now, Stephen is the VP of marketing for a company called Clever Tap, and they are in the mobile marketing space. So we talked a lot about his career and how he got to that VP level. Now, it's interesting with his career. We got to unpack this a little. I think a lot of us are in a career sometimes that just doesn't feel right, doesn't feel like the vibe that we want to be in. So it was a very strategic conversation about how to get on track, how to take those risks, how to be willing to take a step back when you need to, to get on the path that's going to make you happy in the long run. So I think you'll enjoy a lot from that first segment. And then we really go into a very tactical way to think about structuring your team to look at the entire buyer journey. In fact, uh, Stephen does a lot of consulting on his side that he talks about, you know, briefly at the end, but really thinking about a different lens to not just thinking about how do I get people aligned to the top of my funnel, but actually supporting different stages of the business along that entire buyer journey from awareness to close all the way through retention. So without further ado, I think we'll get a lot from this week's episode. Here is Stephen Shapiro. Hey, Stephen, thank you so much for making time to chat today, share your career, share your buyer journey with our listeners. To, to kind of set context for everyone, maybe you can tell us what it means to be the VP of marketing at a company called CleverTap. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, so it's a it's a fun ride. It's definitely you know challenging. Uh, the company is a high growth company that's building out a, a retention platform for mobile users, mobile app companies. And my my position has to, been to come in and help them change and grow in North America and bring in best practices for how we drive to scale. So it's been uh, it's been I've been here about six seven months. And it's been a fun ride, and, and I'm enjoying it. Very nice. Hi, just for context for everyone, how big is the marketing team as a whole uh, that, that, that exists at CleverTap today? Yeah, the company has a marketing team, I would say, somewhere in the 20 to 30 people range. We have a center of excellence regional model where we have centers that um, support the, 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 the corporate structure and the regions through standardization. And then we, each region has a small group of individuals that, that, that help build locally what's, what's being done globally. Very, very interesting. And, and Stephen, just for context, because this is, I, I looked at your career and we'll unpack it a bit, but where would this team size kind of vary from places that you've been along your ride? You know, I, I've seen companies like VMware on your resume yeah. that I'm sure yeah. were a little bit bigger, but yeah. what, what is that variance and what's your favorite? Well, it's, it's like asking who's your favorite child. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've had teams as small as, you know, one or two and as large as over 40 in my career. And, and uh, you know, the, each of them have their advantages. I love large teams for the ability to just have a, a, a large scope of influence and an ability to, to affect change rapidly in the sense that, that there's, you can do a lot of things with a larger team. But also, you could, it's also sometimes slower because there's a lot more people to to have to move and to to influence and to bring uh, along the on the journey. 
where a smaller or smaller teams you can move sometimes much much faster but at the same time you just have less of, of of resources to be able to go do the things that you need to do and so it can take longer that way so it's just very different they all have advantages and disadvantages I, I think you just showed love to all of your children in a very uh, political way there <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> So let's let's go into the time machine and, and go back to the beginning of your career, which I find interesting because we've had on this podcast a number of marketing leaders who started in, in more specifically product marketing. But in your case, it looks like more of an actual specific product lead uh, yeah. where you're launching product. You know, I, I know you have a bit of an engineering background as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, so it's funny. My career actually started in an engineering curriculum and, and nothing to do with computer science. It was chemical engineering. So of all things, um, and just because of physically where I'm in the Silicon Valley, I was able to decide that, that this was something I really liked and wanted to do. And so I evolved over time into product management and, and predominantly first foremost was technology product management. So more things like back-end office and subscription management and e-commerce and those types of things, which were at the time thought of as, as not necessarily products. And, and I grew up in, the, in an environment and in um, a time when the thinking and the paradigm of, of, of these things is now changing into this is actually products that we're, that we're building, even though they're not customer direct facing, they, they influence the customer and they affect the customer. We need to think of them as products. They have, they have a UI, they have a database, they have some sort of business logic, business rules. And so I grew up that paradigm and evolving and then eventually then transitioned into more generic marketing and marketing product marketing and product management of apps and, and web services, and then eventually now into just holistic marketing. Well, you can obviously now speak the right language, you know, 20 some odd years later after yeah. making that, that shift. I, I'm curious for those listening, and I, I know a lot of our listeners are probably already in a more streamlined marketing role, but whether it's someone who's exploring to, to shift from a product path to more of a marketing path or the marketing leader who's debating taking a risk as someone had to with you, Mm -hmm. you know, do you think that it's still as easy to jump from a non-technology background five, 10 years into your career and, and, and make that jump today? It's not easy by any stretch for anybody to, to, to make a career change. It's always hard, but it's both worth it and, and is and is available to, to people who want to do it. I, I would say that there, there are sacrifices. Uh, I had to make a sacrifice, for example, and I was on a track that was growing as a leader in a technical, more engineering-related uh, paradigm or firm and, and, and role. And I went back to becoming an individual contributor in a very different role. And so I kind of go back to the beginnings and I had to pay my dues, if you want to call it that, in learning and developing and becoming a leader on a different track. So you have to go into it knowing, okay, this is going to be different. I'm going to learn a lot and it's going to be exciting and I'm going to enjoy it. But at the same time, I can't expect, for example, I was a director level at the time on a different track and I went to be just a regular product manager. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to, to, to take a step back from that perspective. If you think of it as a step back, I never did. I always thought of it as just a different challenge and a different opportunity. But you have to stick with what do you want to do in life? What, what, what are you passionate about? If you're passionate about it and you, 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 it's something that you find exciting and energetic, 
your your counterparts will respond in kind. They will see that, and they will give you if you're in the right environment with the right leaders around you, give you opportunities to do that. And that comes to the other point, which is you've got to find the right organization and the right leaders who will value you for beyond what you theoretically are experienced in and what your background is in, who are, who can see. And I I call in my life, I call them the four D's that I look for in people. They have to be detail oriented. They have to be determined damn smart is the one I cheat on because <laughs> D's and, but, but, they, and they, and then they have to be dependable. So there's four, the four D's that I look at. And if you have the four D's, uh, I don't necessarily say that you have to have years of experience doing the thing that I want you to do. You can learn it very rapidly. And I'm, be, and I've in my career have taken chances on people who, who have excelled in the four D's and I've never been uh, disappointed. They've always learned what they needed to learn as rapidly as I needed them to learn it. And, and I, and of course, yes, I had to coach them and mentor them into that role, but at the same time, they're far more capable than perhaps someone who's missing one or more of those D's. I like, I like that framework. It, it, it definitely helps for, I'm sure in your interview process alone, alone being able to, to sit there and say, okay, can I give a check mark on, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you have to give all four or at least three with conviction, you know, maybe yourself back, back to making is, as you put it, it's, it's very important to choose the right company. You know, despite that, I don't know if you, you feel you have the perfect track record of picking, but you know, some of the, the companies that we, we go with, are easy when they're at a certain size because you can yeah. meet enough of the people. Sometimes you can you can get high enough even within the marketing org to understand how this is going to be run or chat with the CEO. You know, how do you do that in really large organizations? Because you've had some stops in some large organizations to determine if you'll if you'll mesh with that. Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard and and um, almost impossible to know without having spent a good amount of time talking to the individuals or or having somebody else that you already know in the company who can coach you and tell you the real behind the scenes realities of it. Um, I would then but I would also say that you, I don't think you can make a mistake no matter what you choose in any course of life. If you decide after being there for a very short period of time that, that this isn't the right fit, then you can make a change and, and, and you get the opportunity in life to, to evolve to, uh, and, and to make sure that it is a good fit for you and vice versa, right? So, so I, sometimes in life, we think things are catastrophic, meaning if I go make this decision and it's the wrong decision, I'm going to be in, in a large amount of trouble and I'm going to have a tough time changing. That's just not the case, usually. Now, obviously, there's conditions sometimes when economic conditions make it harder, et cetera. But, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, we, if you've, if you've got capabilities and you're confident in your abilities, you, sh- you know, it, it's something you can know will be available to you. But what I would also recommend is, is do spend some time to talk to the people go go out with a go have a cup of coffee with your potential boss go go have a a quick lunch meeting with some of the the, the other folks in your interview process and 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 really just sit down and ask them some very important convers you know critical questions like so what how do you measure success what is your philosophy on conflict resolution if i if if somebody has a problem how do you see them resolving that very difficult questions, but give you insight into what the reality is. The other thing that I would also say is things change. 
and organizations. I've gone into organizations, big organizations that that were uh, I was a small in a smaller group within a large organization that felt like a startup. And it was great, and I loved every day of it, and I was enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, for no fault or no reason of ours, just corporate decisions, things changed, and it no longer was that way. And and then so I joined for the right reasons, and it was a great place, and all of a sudden it just became not a great place. And and then you just have to say, okay, well, I enjoyed it while it lasted, and let's go on to the next thing. So, uh, first of all, really interesting how you you think through this in a very strategic lens. I'm curious, you know, now in the seat that you're in today, how do you think about the path that you're aiming to get to down the road? You know, you've you've accomplished, you know, really amazing. I mean, a lot of the research I do, people can do themselves. They can go to LinkedIn and they can look you up. You know, your handle is Stephen Shapiro, as as your name shows in the in the listing for the podcast here, and they'll see that that obvious progression there. How do you set a goal when you're in a good place of where you want to get to next? Yeah, that's a very tough question to answer because it's, it's, it is very dependent upon uh, – for me right now, it's, it's, it's what do I think I want to do over the next 10 years, not necessarily 20 or 30 years? And for me, it comes down to first and foremost, am I enjoying – what I'm doing and where do I think I want to be over the next 10, you know, 10 years. And I don't worry too much about the particular path that I'm, that is, that I may or may not take. I don't worry about is the company the right kind of company or is the opportunity the right kind of opportunity. I look at it more from the perspective of, am I solving an interesting problem and is my day-to-day journey an exciting and fun journey and something that I feel is is going to leverage my capabilities and give me the emotional support and, and types of things that I'm trying to get out of it. Whereas earlier in my career, it was much more about does this set me on a good path? Are, are the skill right. sets? Are you going to get that job to, job yep. title that you're aiming for? Exactly. Or, yep. You know, is this going to look good on my resume? That's right. Is it, very big shift. Really interesting, Stephen. So we're going to take a break here. We've kind of gotten to this point of where you are today at CleverTap. I want to dig in on the second half a little bit about your stance on digital demand gen, because I know this is an area that that you even have your own website on the side that, that you follow. So we're going to take a quick break here and we'll dig into the buyer journey that Stephen's mapping right after on the marketer's journey. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies. And we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. All right, Stephen, we are back here on the marketer's journey. And I want to dig as much as this is now the buyer journey segment, as I always call it, I want to go back to your career because your previous stop before CleverTap was at a company called Informatica. And there you had a very interesting job title. It was VP of Digital and Customer Journey. Very specific, 
but something that I, I preach every day on our team <laughs> is, you know, who's owning this journey and, the, and that it's really got to be something that transcends beyond marketing. How do you, you know, how did you define that role or how did it even come to be as a job title? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So um, I've spent a good portion of my career working for one of the best CMOs in the business, uh, Sally Jenkins, who is now CMO over at Elastic. I'm going to give her props. And she and I have worked together and I worked for her and with her for a number of years. And and, and she went to Informatica to run uh, marketing for the Informatica team. And she she and I were chatting and she was recruiting me to try to come and, and join her uh, again. We had worked together before and, and I, I came in and I said, yeah, this would be great, but I want to make sure that the, that the job function really highlights the tra- the paradigm shift and the transition that I want to go execute with you here at the company. And that's about digital and how it empowers the buyer's journey. And she completely was supportive and said, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we need. And, and when I met with the leadership team, they were very supportive as well. So, so we crafted this, this job called VP of digital and buyer's journey. And I owned, and at least initially everything related to the marketing, except for things like brand and, and events and, and, um, the portfolio marketing function and and my team owned campaigns and operations and buyer's journey, those types of things. So, so, but the paradigm that we're, that we know works best, especially in B2B enterprise sales cycles are you've got to influence the buyer throughout not only the landing of the deal, but, but adoption, expansion and renewal and, and then ultimately advocacy and marketing never ends and and most influence happens today in the marketplace by digital. In fact, there are studies out there that say over 70% of an influence on a deal happens even before somebody talks to a salesperson. So it's not that sales isn't important, sales is incredibly important, but it happens at a very specific time frame. Absolutely. And the digital needs to influence this person along the way. And so we wanted the 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 role to to really be defined as such that it, it encompassed both aspects of it, not only the digital and, and those types of things, but but how do you translate that motion at scale in a buyer's journey? I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll give you a good stat that I heard, which is, I think, even more powerful than that 70%. And the number is higher, but it's it's it, it shows the applicability of the research that we're doing. And said 82% of the time where we're evaluating a purchase, we're doing research on our own, yep. not speaking to sales. So only That's 18% right. of the time is speaking to sales. And that includes that time after you've already been connected because That's right. when you get off that, that demo pitch or that sales call or you know the promise of services, what do you do? You go and you try and feel good about going to your boss and saying, we should buy this. That's right. right. So I guess, how do you, how do you kind of structure the team? You know, I, I don't know if it's the case yeah. now, but how have you Yeah. when obviously they're, they're the demand folks who are going to focus on top of funnel and yeah. you know, driving leads. But also, as you said, this is going to weave into the, you know, the sales teams, the yeah. attention teams. How do you put marketing's hand in there and how do you make sure it's welcome? 
Yeah, well, uh, so welcoming is the first. You have to get alignment with the leadership that they understand and buy into this paradigm, that they that they agree that marketing has a, a very important role that needs to be fostered and supported and, and developed along this, this way. And so at Informatica, for example, it was getting people aligned around. We're not talking marketing source pipe versus sales source pipe. There's no such thing as source pipe anymore. It's influenced pipe. And, and so – uh, getting people to look at things like multi-touch attribution to know what touches are happening and what effect it's having on 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 the the prospect are, are is critical. If you can get alignment on that, then there you can set the organization design to support that motion. So it was getting aligned with the CRO at the company to say you want digital and you want marketing to be influencing so your sales folks can be focused on sales conversations. And and at the time the gentleman was like, yeah, absolutely. So, so very strong supporter. And so, so together sales and marketing works uh, to make sure that we've defined what does this journey really look like? Not just the theoretical, but, but the reality of how are people moving through this buyer's journey? And, and then you structure the organization design around that. So you have folks that are experts on particular functions like paid media organic media. They are the subject matter experts that support the individual, perhaps, function leads, right? So at Informatica, we had categories of products that were things that we sold that was separate and distinct from each other. But it had to come within a a broader buyer's journey across the whole platform because we're a platform sell. And so what we do is structure the organization to have single points of contacts to be the what I call digital strategists to to be the de- you know the single product manager so to speak of, of of the buyer's journey across those different product lines and then they would pull in all the subject matter experts from within the organization as needed to help them across the way but but ultimately one group or one function was responsible for holistically what is the buyer's journey and how does it operate and and how do we know what's working and what's not working and then the functions underneath them would support them to to help with the data and the analytics and and then building out and executing it's very interesting I, you know on a selfish question you know you hit on a lot of the groups that are there that are going to essentially orchestrate it mm-hmm. this word you used earlier but ultimately a lot of these marketing campaigns you're going to run putting these strategists in, they're going to need content. So where, yes. how do you weave content in? Is, is the content team part of this customer journey mapping or is, is their output kind of leveraged in a way by those teams? Yeah, well, I've always considered content a center of excellence in, in, in that paradigm. The, the center of excellence will, will bring in requirements from the, all the different places that, that need content and then uh, work within in B2B, the campaigns environment, campaign structure to, to know what's needed when along this buyer's journey. There's always going to be more demands for content than you can deliver. There's just never enough resources to go do it. So you have to prioritize what is needed and, and you need stories, right? Campaigns are stories that you want to tell that drive people, pull people through the buyer's journey. And so you, you, you define the stories. Those story definitions uh, then tell you from each of the subject matter experts, what is required to tell that story. You're going to need uh, top of funnel content to generate awareness that's going to be delivered by paid media and organic media. Then you're going to need middle of the funnel content to help explain how your product or solution solves that problem. And then 
bottom of the funnel content, technical details and other types of value proposition statements and, and other types of pieces of content that'll help get it down to a level that, that can get your 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 influencers in the journey to really buy into and say yes yes this is something we need and 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 have confidence that the solution is going to actually solve solve their problems with with case studies and and other types of things so so you 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 define all of these requirements and then figure out what the right priority is and then the content team builds all that out over over time there's it's never going to happen right. again very very quickly you're going to have to have a roadmap just like any product does and I'm just curious, I, I know I'm in the in the weeds here. I'm just very curious here. You know, do you find it's important to have that content team sitting there when you're architecting this buyer journey as a whole so that they understand what stage they're building yeah. this content for? Absolutely. You know, but at the same time, you yeah. can have sometimes too many cooks in the kitchen. It's, it's a tricky balance, I'm sure. It is. Uh, my philosophy is... You can never provide too much information to the team. Over communicate to the team of uh, uh, objectives, requirements, strategies. Get and then build smaller tiger teams to solve. You know, the, the bigger team conversation should always go through all of this detail of, of what we're trying to solve, why we're trying to solve it, brainstorming that type of stuff, and then and then but the how. Should be a small tiger team that is own, that has empowerment and and owns the decision of what we need to do and 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 the materials that need to come from it. But great ideas come from everywhere, and so you do need to make sure you have the full team first involved in knowing what's coming and when is it coming and why is it coming and all that type of stuff, so that it'll help them and make better decisions what they're doing. But then separately, also having this this ability to to be consultants and i we use i've been using in in my history the daci or racy framework you know daci yeah. the driver the approver consultants and informed and, and and so you you define up front in the decision who are the consultants and, and when you talk about what content needs to be delivered you need to bring representatives in uh, of these consultants across the whole organization that have value to help the person making the decision make the right decision they are just that consultants. You you get their 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 inputs, and then the decision gets made by that one individual who is the empowered A to go make that decision. I think when you use that framework, it's very easy to curtail it so it's not too many cooks in the kitchen. There's only one cook in the kitchen. You just got a lot of sous chefs around you to help you, you know, prepare the final dish. I love it. And and we are going to, I don't know how we end a segment better than that analogy. So Stephen, we're going to end that segment, but we are going to keep you around for a few more minutes so people can tune in. I think they're going to want to hear how you make time for yourself, where you've been. That's a fun segment we always end on here. We'll be right back here with Stephen Shapiro. Hey, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your career, for sharing the way you're orchestrating these journeys and really getting, as you put it, you know, a combination of sushi chefs and sous chefs, I believe, on the last segment there. <laughs> yes. uh, but the real question that I'm trying to figure out is with all, all these things that you have to balance orchestrating these teams, it's, it's got to feel tough to, to step away, right? Yeah, you know, when yeah. Things are changing all the time. As you said, even in your career, things change in a moment when you're gone and that whole organization can change. 
how do you still make time to escape for family, for yourself, you know, for, for your mental health? Yeah. Uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. It's hard. My wife would probably say I don't, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, in all seriousness, it is hard. Um, so part of it is hard is because I love what I do. Right. And, and I enjoy it. And, and you can have you can enjoy something and still do it too much. Right. There, there are times when you you have to step away. So I think the, the, the big thing is you have to set boundaries. You have to be disciplined and say, I'm going to make sure that I've I've set aside time for me or for whatever it is that I need to do for my kids, for my family, for whatever. And pick the things that, that are important to you and, and then be disciplined to that and set the expectations. That's the key. Just make sure people around you are, are, are aware of what it is that you need to go do. Most in my career, I think very rarely in my career have I been in a situation where there wasn't a complete understanding and support of the things that, that I need to go do because they we all know we spend way too much time doing the things at work and, and never enough time doing the things that, that we would like to do. And, and, and if you're doing and meeting your your obligations and doing your responsibilities and and being very cognitive of of the times that you need to put the 80 hour weeks in versus the times you don't there's going to be a lot of leeway for okay now i need to take a step back so there'll be the weeks when you just you have no time it's just you're so much to get done it's crunch time and everybody's pulling together and to be honest that actually can be some of the best times of your life right all working towards a common purpose it's exciting it's fun it's passionate um and you you can see the results then there are times when okay i need to take a break i need to, to to exhale meditate what take exercise for me it's exercise i've got to get out there a few times a week and and get an exercise and clear my brain i find that if i don't i'm i'm not a good worker i i i'm it's just you don't want to be around me and great advice yeah exactly so so you know be disciplined set your boundaries set expectations around you of when you having your downtime because if people don't know they don't know Right. If, yeah. you, they, they really can't uh, acknowledge and, and support you if they don't know what you're going through or if they don't know what you're, you know, when you're when you're off. Just say, hey, I'm out for an hour. I'll be back online. But people will respect that. And, and, and they we just we're in a situation today where we're all available 24 seven. And so we assume, unless we hear otherwise, that you're sitting at your machine waiting for your email. <laughs> and 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 so you know, and and if you don't respond, then sometimes we perceive that that people will think that as a negative. And and again, if you just set the expectation, hey, I'm out for an hour, then then you'll feel better because you'll know people will will be acknowledging, and there won't be that expectation from anybody on the other side that okay, hey, this person's on for an hour, no big deal, I'll wait. A couple hours or whatever a day, you know the time frame can be can be fluid. It's just you need to take that that break and, and get that balance in your life. Otherwise, it will hurt you in every in every facet. Great advice, Stephen. We'll we'll end on that one. I'll, I'll give a quick plug for you because I know that you provide a lot of insights beyond just how to you know uh, how to pace your life at digitaldemandgen.com. Is that the right URL? Yeah, that is my that is my digital uh, consultancy. But but uh, plug for CleverTap, which pays my bills, uh, a great user retention platform. Uh, so there you go. I plugged it myself.
Amazing. There you go. We got, we got two plugs in at the end. And uh, <laughs> if people want to follow Stephen a little bit more, you can find him where I did on LinkedIn at, uh, you know, his handle is Stephen Shapiro there. Stephen, thank you so much for Welcome. sharing your career, your buyer's journey, a little bit about how you make time amid all of that. Until next time, this has been the marketer's journey. If you've enjoyed, check out some of the other amazing senior marketing leaders we've had on this show. You can catch our podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, pretty much anywhere podcasts are. We are there. Until next time, this has been The Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.